This is the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, July 8th. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Doug Blair. After the Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade and returned the issue of abortion to the American people, a slate of leftist district attorneys have said they will not enforce laws drafted to protect the unborn. Some of these rogue district attorneys are from pro-life states and might try to stymie efforts by state legislatures to protect life. On today's show, Heritage Senior Legal Fellow Cully Stimson discusses the implications of these district attorneys refusing to prosecute abortion crimes and what Americans can do to hold them accountable. But before we get to Doug's conversation with Cully Stimson, let's hit our top news stories of the day. Great Britain is getting a new prime minister. Standing on Downing Street in London on Thursday, Boris Johnson announced he is stepping down per the BBC. I've agreed with Sir Graham Brady, the chairman of our backbench MPs, that the process of choosing that new leader should begin now. And the timetable will be announced next week. And I've today appointed a cabinet to serve, as I will, until a new leader is in place. Johnson's resignation comes amid controversy and a series of scandals. Most recently, Johnson was criticized for appointing a member of parliament to a position in his government, despite having knowledge of sexual misconduct allegations against him. But at the heart of Johnson's downfall, many claim are his poor economic policies. Ted Bromond is a senior research fellow in Anglo-American relations in the Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom at the Heritage Foundation. He joined a Daily Signal bonus episode Thursday to discuss the core reasons for Johnson's downfall, saying despite being the leader of the conservative party, he did not deliver on conservative priorities. That's really the problem is that if you don't do all the things you're supposed to do, if you're a conservative And you don't act like a conservative when scandals hit, and unfortunately in government, scandals always do hit, people are going to say, why should I be loyal to you? Hmm. You didn't do what you said you were going to do. It said on the tin that you're a conservative and you've really governed, except for Brexit, like sort of, you know, centrist, big spending, you know, in our sense, sort of, you know, democratic kind of figure. Why should I be loyal to you? You can catch my full conversation with Ted Broman discussing Boris Johnson's resignation by checking out the bonus episode released yesterday afternoon. The timeline remains unclear as to when the UK will get a new prime minister and who that prime minister will be. We'll keep you posted. Earlier this year, the United Kingdom and United States worked in tandem to capture Iranian missiles in the Gulf of Oman. Fox News reported on Thursday that British officials revealed the Royal Navy HMS Montrose, with the assistance of the U.S. Navy, seized missiles on January 28th and February 25th, just off the coast of Iran. The officials claimed the missiles were proof that the Iranian regime is supporting Houthi rebels in the Yemeni civil war. If true, Iran would be in violation of a United Nations Security Council arms embargo on Yemen. The British Embassy in Washington, D.C. released a statement saying that this was the first time a British naval warship has interdicted a vessel carrying such sophisticated weapons from Iran, and adding dozens of packages containing advanced weaponry were discovered, confiscated, and brought back to HMS Montrose. In total, officials said 358 surface-to-air missiles and 351 land-attack cruise missiles were discovered on the smuggler's ships. 
ABC News reported that Iran has denied that it's arming Houthi rebels and called the UK's findings groundless. The newly elected representative Myra Flores is a Mexican-born millennial. She won her seat as a Republican in a Texas district that has historically always elected Democrats. The New York Times has labeled her a far-right Latina. Now she's firing back. After the New York Times published a piece Wednesday titled The Rise of the Far-Right Latina with a picture of Flores, the 36-year-old took to Twitter to respond. She said, it amazes me that because my values are rooted in God, family, and country, that liberal media takes it upon themselves to attack me and label me far right. But at least they use the word Latina over their other made-up terms. The piece claims that Flora's views are shunning moderates and that she often embraces the extreme. Flora's joined Laura Ingram to respond to the criticism that she is receiving. I honestly don't really care about the New York Times. They know nothing about me or my culture. Like I said, we're all about God, family, and country. And that's who we are here in South Texas. And that's what they call far right. It's, it's just insane. Flores is a mother of four and the first ever Mexican-born member of Congress. That's all for headlines. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Cully Stimson as we discuss rogue district attorneys refusing to enforce pro-life laws. Conservative women, conservative feminists. It's true, we do exist. I'm Virginia Allen, and every Thursday morning on Problematic Women, Lauren Evans and I sort through the news to bring you stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. That is women whose views and opinions are often excluded or mocked by those on the so-called feminist left. We talk about everything from pop culture to politics and policy. Plus, we bring you an exclusive interview with a problematic lawmaker or conservative activist every second and fourth Tuesday of the month. Search for Problematic Women wherever you get your podcasts. And we are also problematic on social media. So be sure to follow us on Instagram. My guest today is Cully Stimson, Deputy Director at the Heritage Foundation's Legal Study Center and a Senior Legal Fellow. Cully, welcome to the show. Great to be back with you. Of course. In the aftermath of the Dobbs decision to overturn Roe, a letter signed by several rogue prosecutors, or these are district attorneys who won't enforce the law, indicated that they these same prosecutors will not enforce laws specifically banning abortions or punishing people uh, who go against pro-life laws in the states. So first of all, can they legally do this? This tactic of not enforcing the law that their state legislature passes and their governor signs is not a new play for them. Mm -hmm. So it's not surprising that they're virtue signaling and trying to capture on the anti-Dobbs hysteria on the left uh, and hold themselves out as defenders of freedom and all the rest of it, when in fact, ever since they've been elected in their various counties, they've refused to prosecute all sorts of laws. So this is just part and parcel, not only of their uh, pro-criminal, anti-victim crusade, but it's also, I think, a fundraising opportunity for them Mm. to get more money from people who, for whatever reason, don't like the Dobbs decision. Now, you're saying this is something that's kind of par for the course. Like we see in San Francisco that they refuse to enforce these laws. Is that something similar? You're just adding these post-Dobbs laws on top of that? Right. Well, first off, I mean, the dust hasn't even settled 
Doug. Uh, and we don't know what states, if any, will necessarily criminalize uh, abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, but to the extent that some states would pass uh, a law to make it a misdemeanor, either for a doctor to perform an abortion or a person to seek one in their state, these prosecutors are jumping out uh, uh, ahead of the news cycle, essentially, to say that we will refuse uh, to to file cases in in those situations. Now, remember, the prosecutor, not the police officer, not the mayor, not the governor, is the gatekeeper to the criminal justice system, as we've mm-hmm. written about in our Rogue Prosecutor series. So police can arrest people for committing crimes that are on the books. But if the DA says, sorry, Officer Schmuckatelli, we're not going to bring that case and file it in court, that's the end of the line. There's no appeal for a citizen or an aggrieved party or victim to go around the prosecutor. Mm -hmm. And so these prosecutors uh, have already been refusing to prosecute thousands of types of crimes around the country. So this is just another anticipatory uh, prosecutorial nullification, mm-hmm. which is what they're talking about. Now, the letter contains several different prosecutors, and they come from a wide gamut of states. Some of them are from places like Texas and Mississippi, which already have some pretty strict laws on the books regarding abortion. How does the refusal by these prosecutors to enforce these laws affect the cause of life in those pro-life states? Too early to tell. Um, so we don't know <clears throat> what, if any, cases could be brought or have tried to be brought, uh, and these DAs refused, I'm sure they'll bang on a gong as soon as they come up with a case that they refuse to try to draw attention to themselves. Um, This is a new breed of prosecutor. Mm. Uh, These really aren't prosecutors. These are people who run for the DA. There's 2,300 DA offices around the country that people can run for at the local level, uh, whose vision is that the entire criminal justice system is racist. Of course, it's not. Mm -hmm. But the only way to ameliorate or fix that problem, which they see as a problem, uh, is to, quote, fundamentally reverse engineer and dismantle, unquote, the criminal justice system. And that's a quote from one of their key cheerleaders, uh, Rachel Barkow, who was on the U.S. Sentencing Commission, who's written extensively about the rogue prosecutor movement. So I suspect that when there are cases uh, that, uh, for example, let's say in a particular state, a physician or physician's group decides to offer, uh, perform abortions mm-hmm. against the law of the state, uh, and that physician happens to be in a city where there's a rogue prosecutor, there'll be sort of an unholy alliance between mm-hmm. that physician who's breaking the law and the prosecutor who refuses to enforce the law, and then they'll garner media attention for themselves and use it as an opportunity to not only puff themselves up, but also to fundraise right. for these rogue prosecutors. Given that we have seen in other states there are rogue prosecutors already who have refused to enforce the law, and this is an elected position, are there any things that conservative governors or maybe lawmakers in those states can do to force them to enforce the law? Is there an impeachment process? Well, what's interesting is we've already seen the liberal residents of San Francisco get fed up with and boot their rogue prosecutor, Chesa Boudin, just a few weeks ago. Now, this mm-hmm. is the son of terrorists, right. the weather underground terrorists, who, when his mommy and daddy went to prison, he then gets raised by Bernadine Dorn and Bill Ayers. Talk about, yeah, <laughs> you know, going from a radical group of parent to a gra- radical group of parent type 
folks. Uh, he was also the translator for Hugo Chavez before ah. he went off to Yale uh, Law School. Uh, and then he was a federal he was a federal defender for a long time before he was the DA. So this is not a Republican or Democrat thing. This is not a conservative or liberal thing. This is whether or not you're going to uh, enforce the law and you believe in law and order and holding people accountable for crimes, or you don't. Right. And that's chaos, right? Mm -hmm. That's an anti-law and order move. So, uh, you know, whether or not uh, the citizens of LA will successfully recall uh, George Gascone, they needed 566,000 signatures by yesterday. They turned in 717,000 signatures mm. to the registrar of voters, so that registrar can certify that. There's a different procedure in every state and every county, so there's no one way it's done. Here in Fairfax, Virginia, across the river, uh, if you were to recall Steve Descana, who's the little rogie that got a 72% or so of his campaign funds from George Soros wow. directly— um, you, he would actually have to have a trial in front mm -hmm. of a circuit court judge without a jury uh, to find out whether he abused his office. So it's different everywhere around the country. The key is for people, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, whatever they are, if they're concerned about law and order, and it's a big problem in a lot of cities, uh, find out from your DA whether they believe in reimagining prosecution and not asking for bail, even for repeat criminals, and not fully enforcing the law. Because if they are following that Soros bought and paid for playbook or inspirational playbook uh, or the playbook from fair and just prosecution, which is neither fair nor just, but one of these Soros cutouts, uh, then you're going to know that you're going to have a crime problem in your city. Right. One of the things that struck me as I was reading this letter is – one of the prosecutors was Mike Schmidt, which is the rogue uh, district attorney from my hometown of Portland, Oregon. I, it got me thinking, though, that Oregon is never, at least in the near future, going to ban abortion. It's a pretty pro-abortion state. As you mentioned, it, is it more symbolic that they're doing this in those types of states, or is there any actual possibility that they could affect pro-life states by the fact that they are also not going to prosecute abortions? Well, for the Mike Schmitz of the world, who's the... Uh prosecutor in Portland mm -hmm. um, and Oregon, as you mentioned, is a lefty state, uh, they're not going to have a law. And so it's just, this is virtue signaling that he's signing on to a letter like this. Re Oregon's probably not going to turn red right. uh, in the near future. And so Mike Schmidt and the Mike Schmitz on this letter, uh, who sit safely in a blue city in a blue state, they're just virtue signaling and joining the gaggle of other prosecutors who, who are beating their chest and pretending they're out there uh, as defenders of freedom and liberty. The, the irony in their letter uh, is that um, it's available on the Fair and Just Prosecution website or some of these other places. They say, quote, as elected prosecutors, when we stand in court, we have the privilege and obligation to represent the people. Criminalizing and prosecuting individuals who seek to provide abortion care makes a mockery of justice. Prosecutors should not be part of that. Um, well, you know, what's interesting is the people that they care the most about are criminals. Mm. Why would you allow, why would you publish a list, which is what a, most of these rogue prosecutors do, of all the crimes you can commit in their city? Mm. Possession with intent to distribute any drug, including fentanyl, breaking and entering, vandalism, malicious destruction of property, prostitution, drug offenses, possession of any drug. Uh, you see these videos of these thefts going on in San Francisco and all these other cities where people do it brazenly, broad daylight, armfuls of stuff, and walk out. Right. Um, look, 
we don't have a perfect criminal justice system, but we have a criminal justice system that's spread throughout the 50 states and all the counties out there. And it's populated by people. Mm -hmm. And the state legislatures and the governors and the stakeholders in those criminal justice systems do the best they can to better the system year in and year out. Sure. And it's a compassionate system. It's a system where, believe it or not, we've had falling crime rates for the last 30 years and falling incarceration rates, dramatic falling incarceration rates since 2008. Uh, yet in these cities where you have that toxic trio of rogue prosecutors uh, defund the police and demoralize the police, crime has been spiking. Why? Because they refuse to enforce the law, and you don't get you don't, you don't hold people accountable. And holding people accountable, Doug, does not mean sending them to jail. Right. Most misdemeanants who get convicted don't go to jail. They don't see a day in jail. But you hold them accountable to help them get back on the right path, which is what we want all citizens to be on. Mm. Specifically, speaking about abortion, though, it does seem like there will be a negative impact on the the, uh, the sort of culture of life and the the ability to protect life in states that have had their legislatures determine that they want to pass pro-life laws but have rogue prosecutors normally, it seems like, in big cities who will just refuse to do that. So I guess, again, my, my question here is what is the implication going to be if these prosecutors who refuse to enforce the laws anyway are now sticking another obstacle in us being able to protect life? So in addition to the potential to recall that rogue prosecutor, depending on the state law or the county uh, recall mechanism. Um, there, are, there are some mechanisms in states that allow the state attorney general mm -hmm. to reach in around uh, the elected county DA to enforce the law. Now, whether on a state-by-state -state basis there'll be the availability of that reach around by state AGs to take a case away from the rogue prosecutor that's going to be determined on a state-by-state -state basis. So, for example, in a slightly related context, in Virginia, uh -huh. uh, you have these protests, which you've been doing an outstanding <laughs> job covering in front of justices' homes, not only in Virginia but Maryland, too, as you know. And in Virginia, Steve Descana refuses to enforce the state law. Right. There's an open discussion about whether Jason Miaras, the AG in the state of Virginia, can reach around Descano and enforce state law. Mm -hmm. they've, put no, they've put Steve Descano on notice. He refuses to enforce the law. So we'll see whether the state AG, who's a good guy, uh, can do that. And we'll see in these other states where the state legislature, the people who should be deciding this, decide to criminalize the facilitation of abortions and you have a rogue DA, whether the state AG, or there's another mechanism mm -hmm. to enforce that law. Now, the public obviously has a, a view of this. If they elect these certain state legislators, they clearly want them to act in a way that they voted them in for. Are we seeing pushback from the public towards these rogue prosecutors? You mentioned Chesa Boudin, but are we seeing other pushbacks across the country to these rogue prosecutors who aren't enforcing the will of the people? We are. And the, and the irony is that even though Chesa Boudin hilariously uh, blamed his recall on Republicans. That's six percent of registered voters in San Francisco. Right. Very, uh, right. very blue city and state. Um, the pushback and the outcry is coming from citizens of those inner cities, and they're usually black and brown minorities, especially women. Mm. And so, for example, in LA. Um, for the last year and a half, you've had victims' rights groups 
and a group, believe it or not, it exists, Parents of Murdered Children. Mm. You don't want to be a member of that group. Uh, they've been very vocal about George Gascon. You hear victims' rights groups not as vocal and not as organized in Philadelphia, where Larry Krasner is the rogue prosecutor. Marilyn Mosby is fortunate because even though she's just a horrendous leader and a terrible rogue prosecutor in Baltimore, you don't have organized victims' rights groups in Maryland. But in Chicago, more are starting to speak up about Kim Fox. More are starting to speak up in St. Louis about Kim Gardner, who's the rogue DA there. And so it's the left and the minorities who these uh, rogue prosecutors care, pretend to care the most about, who are the most injured right. by their prosecutorial nullification. And they're the ones who are funding these recalls, and they're the ones who are the most vocal about these recalls. As we wrap up, I'm curious. So let's say we have a situation like a Chester Boudin where he is just recalled and now you have an opening where somebody who who believes that the rule of law should be enforced is able to be inserted. How is it that we sort of solidify these gains and say, no, you are not going to be a rogue prosecutor. You're going to enforce the law. How do we ensure that that happens? Well, I think it goes back to first principles. Uh, candidates who believe in the rule of law and believe in the separation of powers that a DA enforces the law as part of the executive branch. The legislature and the legislature only passes the law. It doesn't matter if it's a Republican or Democrat who's running for DA. In these big inner cities, the person who wins the Democratic primary is going to win the seat. Right. But as long as it's a person who's actually not going to be a Soros bought and paid for stooge, mm -hmm. uh, a rogue prosecutor, but a law and order fair and compassionate, but law and order prosecutor, that's how you ameliorate this scourge across the country, which, by the way, is failing. Mm. Chester Boudin lost. George Gascon is probably going to be recalled. Marilyn Mosby's under federal indictment. Kim Fox in Chicago has more murders in her city uh, on any weekend uh, than there were combat deaths at the height of the surge in Iraq and Afghanistan. Wow. So these are combat zones. They're just putting their head in the sand and pretending it's not happening in their cities and that it's not their fault. And, of course, it's entirely uh, their fault. Okay. Well, that was Cully Stimson, Deputy Director at the Heritage Foundation's Legal Study Center and a senior legal fellow. Cully, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to The Daily Signal Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to The Daily Signal Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you like to listen. And take a moment to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It means so much to us. We read every single one, and we so appreciate you. If you have already given us your feedback, it really means a lot. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all on Monday. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Doug Blair. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.